0: If you're going to do anything self-employed you have to find something you can do and you have to sell it you know if you're a, a builder or a guitar teacher whatever it is you've got to sell it I'm not a natural salesperson and I think loads of people who do sales are not natural they've just learnt it and it is learnable Plug into the minds of the world's cutting-edge innovators,
1: visionaries, and thought leaders who are rewriting the rules of sales and success. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast. Hi everyone, this is your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and I'm excited to announce that my book, Selling with Love, Earn with Integrity, Expand Your Impact. going to be released on february 15th of this year and i'm so excited to bring it to the masses so if you are one of the people who wants to get a copy of this book be sure to go to sellingwithlove.com forward slash book and you'll be able to get on the waiting list and learn about all the exciting details, bonuses, and special offer that we will have on the day of launch to be able to get your hands on a copy of this book. You'll even have an advanced chapter made available when you sign up. So once again, go to sellingwithlove.com forward slash book and you'll be able to be one of the first people to get a glimpse inside the new book coming out February 15th. And now please enjoy this episode. Hi everybody, this is Jason Mark Campbell. Welcome back to the Selling With Love podcast. Now today I have a guest who is an accidental sales expert, but I really love Chris Croft, who's joining me here, who's actually an expert when it comes to time management, project management, leadership, and negotiation, yet he finds himself being also an extremely amazing trainer when it comes to sales, is one of the top consumed sales courses ever created. The man is a trainer on Udemy. He's one of the best trainers there. He has over 36 courses, 22,000 people view his courses a day, and he's got over 18 million students so he knows how to train in multiple topics and today we're really going to focus on if we're not born as a salesperson are we trapped is there anything we can do or is it actually an advantage you can have in today's world now this man has an email that goes out to over twenty thousand people he has an engineering degree from cambridge so he comes from an engineering background and he's going to be here to teach us more about sales chris welcome to the show and thank you so much for being
0: here Thank you, Jason. Thanks for that big build-up. I am not worthy. But yeah, I do have 20,000 people a day viewing my stuff online and I find that very weird. I can't really get my head around that, but I'm delighted. I mean, if I'm making a difference to the world, then that's really cool. I earn a small amount of money from it as well. It's great to know that all those people out there are learning stuff about sales, as you say, as even my sales course has, has done all right, which surprised me really?
1: Well, there's going to be two flashbacks I want you to kind of walk us through because we were talking just before the show that you kind of accidentally became a salesperson before you became a sales trainer. You came from engineering, yet you found yourself having to learn sales, which kind of answers the question right from the start is, did you feel like you were born as a salesperson and you had all the natural gifts? And if not, what did you have to do to get to the place you are?
0: Yeah, well, I started out doing engineering just because At school I could do maths and I didn't have very good memory so things like languages weren't great but maths I could understand and so I thought what subject to do and I remember a feeling of sort of desperation at school really. I didn't really know what I wanted to do or what to be and so I went into engineering and I was just not a very good engineer. Now the maths got really horrible and there's a lot of attention to detail when you're an engineer and I just I wasn't a very good engineer and I sort of drifted into management because it was better paid and there was less maths and I was quite a good manager but I didn't really enjoy it and I was looking for something that I could be good at and enjoy because that's the big search in life isn't it to find what am I good at and what do I like doing and management I didn't really enjoy I had to do horrible things to people sometimes which I didn't want to do you know fire people or put pressure on them and things and I just thought this isn't really me so the sort of third part of my if you call it a career a random search for life was training so I worked a bit as a university lecturer and then I went into being a freelance trainer and I love training and I enjoy it and I think I'm good at it I seem to be able to do it and so you know the search is to find the thing that you're good at And selling has had to come with that because, you know, every day I have to sell a training course as well as deliver it. And so selling started out as a sort of necessary evil for me, really. If you're going to do anything self-employed, you have to find something you can do and you have to sell it. You know, if you're a builder or a guitar teacher, whatever it is, you've got to sell it. And the other thing I've sort of realised about training is that actually you're selling ideas during the training course as well so you know i spend my time selling people gantt charts telling you that gantt charts are fantastic and oh jason if you knew about gantt charts they'd change your life they'd make you happy they'd make you successful you really want a gantt chart jason so i'm selling ideas as well as having to sell the training course itself and so like it or not i've ended up in the world of selling And you might say, oh, well, yeah, you were always destined to be a salesperson, Chris. That's how you are. But I really don't think that's true. I think I'm not a natural salesperson. And I think loads of people who do sales are not natural. They've just learnt it. And it is learnable. And I think it's a bit like playing the saxophone, which I do in my spare time, by the way. You know, when I listen to somebody like John Coltrane, who's, you know, my sax idol, along with Clarence Clements, the Bruce Springsteen guy. But John Coltrane is so good. You know, you listen to him and you think, I will never be half as good, a tenth as good as John Coltrane. But that's OK. You could either be depressed watching him or you could be inspired, right? And I look at him and I'm inspired. And I think if I could be a tenth as good as him, that would be great. And you don't have to be the best in the world to enjoy playing the saxophone and to be good enough to play in a band in a pub and for people to like it. And I think sales is the same. You don't have to be the best in the world. And in fact, you can't be the best in the world unless you've got real talent and a lot of hard work. But you can be good enough at anything, actually. You know, if you wanted to learn the saxophone, you could. Anybody could learn the saxophone well enough to play in a band and, you know, impress their mates and have fun. And that's all I've done. And it's the same with selling to be the best in the world you have to have a natural talent that not many people have and which I don't have I don't think but to be good enough anybody can learn that I honestly think that anyone can learn anything to a standard that's good enough so I absolutely think that sales is learnable and I actually think if you've got a talent for sales it's quite dangerous because you might start thinking I don't need to learn anything I'll just turn up and blag it and And there are lots of salespeople out there who've never studied it, never read a book on it. You know, if I was recruiting a salesperson, I'd ask them, what's your favorite book? Because most of them will go, I don't know, I've never read one, in which case they're out. Because I want people who've studied it and learnt about it. You know, I could maybe later on, I'll give you the names of several sales books, I think, that are really good. So I absolutely think it's a learnable process and anybody can learn to do it. And it's actually quite an easy process, actually, that you just walk through. But the main thing is you have to know the process. And if I liken it to walking along a tightrope and that each step is quite easy, actually. And you just do it step by step till you get to the other end. But if you get one step wrong, you're off the tightrope and you don't make the sale. So you need to know what the steps are and we'll come to those. And then you just need to make sure you do each one correctly. So, yep, it's totally learnable and... Anyone can learn it, including everyone who's listening to this podcast.
1: Lovely. There's a couple of things that you mentioned there that I want to bring back. Number one is this idea that it is learnable, but you don't need to be the absolute best. And one of the things we were discussing as well before the show is the fact that it's an unregulated industry, right? So anybody can be a salesperson. And what's fascinating is when you look at statistics and sales, you could be horrified looking at, oh my God, a lot of salespeople don't follow up. They're not qualified. They don't receive the adequate training but they still are able to have a career in sales. So it's almost like the bar to have a minimal amount of success in sales is actually quite low. So if you're self-employed and you're trying to promote yourself, you can learn a lot of the basics and you will be better than the average in no time. And so I think there's a lot of hope that comes with that statistic, knowing that you can do a great job. And again, it comes with that double-edged sword, which is the majority of your sales interactions might not have been a positive one, given that there's maybe a lot of negative sales Interactions that exist if there's underqualified people that are selling. Chris, I want to also go back through maybe just picking at your mindset because you first started when thinking that sales was kind of that necessary evil. Do you have any idea of where that thought would have come from? Why would you have had that assumption?
0: There's a lot of negative associations that go with sales. You know, I think it's not regarded as a proper career by a lot of people's parents, although I actually persuaded my son to go into sales. My son, Miles, is making sales videos, has worked as a sales guy and is really great. And I'm proud of that. But I think a lot of parents think, oh, I want my son to be a doctor or an engineer, maybe, or a judge or something, but not a salesperson. And I think there's this perception that sales is sort of dodgy and involves even maybe lying in order to get deals and because you can't do a degree in sales, it's academically, it's not a proper subject, not like being a lawyer or something. You do a degree in law. And, you know, why should sales be regarded as a less good career? I think that's ridiculous. It's actually better paid than most careers. It's a transferable skill. It's fun. You know, you have a feeling of freedom as you go and see customers. I mean, there's loads of great things about sales, but it's not regarded as a good career or a good profession I also think there's something slightly scary about sales. And I believe the root of the fear, it's kind of fear of rejection. And I think we know that if someone doesn't like you, they won't buy from you. And in fact, however much you want the product, if you don't like the salesperson, you probably won't buy it. And I think, therefore, there's a feeling that if you don't make a sale, it's because they didn't like you. And that could be the case. I mean, it might be just the product wasn't right or it's too expensive, but you know, quite often it is that they didn't like you. And so I think there's a real edge to selling because if they don't like you, they won't buy. And so you every now and then, or maybe quite often you're told that customer didn't like you and you have to cope with that. And you know, maybe you didn't like them either. And maybe not everyone's going to like you and that's life. But I think that that gives the whole thing an edge. And most other careers, there isn't this thing about, you know, if you're doing graphic design, there isn't a question every day of, well, did that person like you or not? Because you're just there with your computer designing beautiful things. And that's great. So I think selling has got some fears associated with it about being liked. And so I think people therefore do regard it as a necessary evil and something they would like to avoid if they could. But that's a real shame because actually it's really rewarding. And, you know, when you get a sale, it's a great feeling. And the process of selling is fascinating, you know, like sort of fishing, like, you know, reeling in those sparkly fish. And if you don't manage to land the fish, then why not? You know, and you can analyze it and think, oh, well, next time I'm going to try this. And there's a sort of almost a chess game element as well of he said that and I didn't have an answer. But next time I'm going to try this. And, you know, there's that sales thing of peeling the onion, isn't there? When somebody says it's too expensive, you say, if it wasn't for the price, would you buy it? And I love all that sort of that gamey side of it, because if there's another reason, something that worries them, they have to tell you because if they don't tell you about their worry, if they just go, yeah, well, yes, I would. Then you've got them because all you have to do is sort the price out and you've got them. So they have to then reveal that what their real worry is. And maybe you can handle that. And so there are all these techniques that you can play and they're all like chess moves. And I think it's fascinating and very rewarding. And when it goes well, it's really enjoyable. And I made up a joke definition of selling once which has now stuck with me and I bet you're going to really like this one Jason actually because my sort of joke definition was that sales is making new friends and helping them and I've come to believe actually that that is what sales is and my customers are mostly friends. I mean some of them have invited me to their weddings and all sorts of things because you become their friend not in a Machiavellian way to manipulate them, to get money out of them, but because you genuinely find that you have things in common with them and you like them. And if they become your friend, you then can move on to how can I help them? And if I can do a training course that really helps a customer, that's a great feeling, you know, for me and them. And then it will mean they'll hire me again and recommend me to other people, etc. And whatever I'm selling or making or doing, if I can help my customer, that's a great feeling. So for me, sales is about trying to explore how can I help you? And maybe I can't help you. I mean, I don't know. But just to find out what it is that you're hoping to get, what are you looking for, what are your problems, and can I help you with those? I think that's what the essence of selling is. But there's the two phases, because you have to become their friend first before they will then open up and tell you what their problems are. But if you can become their friend and then help them, I mean, what not that great? What a great way to spend your life, you know? And I'm selling and doing, but if I was just selling and somebody else was delivering what I promised and it was good, that would be equally satisfying. It would be great. So, you know, I think people's fears about selling are unfounded. But as you say, they are based on the fact there's a lot of unregulated, really bad salespeople out there who are really pushy, quite often dishonest. It does get selling a bad reputation. And I'm always fascinated when I go into shops just to see how good or bad they are at it. Or when I get somebody to come around, you know, builder looking to do some work on my house, how bad they are at it. And you just think, Oh, have you not had any training? A very quick example. My son, Miles and I went to the BMW showroom about a year ago to look at a car. He was thinking of getting a BMW because he discovered that on monthly hire, you can buy them quite cheaply, like $200 a month. And he was like, I could afford that. I could afford a BMW. You could see his eyes go, So we went to have a look and we were looking at this beautiful car and the sales guy came out and said, oh, yes, isn't it lovely? Isn't it lovely? And we asked him a few things about it and he answered. He knew all his technical stuff and we asked him about it. And at the end, we said, great, thanks very much. We'll go and think about it. He said, "Okay, bye. And off we went. And he never got our names or phone numbers or emails so he's not able to send us a message saying by the way we're doing a special offer this week he never even found out which of us was thinking of buying it was it me or my son and he didn't find out that my son was currently living in London but if he'd found out it was miles he lives in London etc he could have said there's a BMW garage just around the corner from you if you like we could bring one round to your flat and you could have a test drive you know and he probably could have sold him a car but he didn't ask us any questions. He just answered what we asked him. So he didn't find out anything about us. And, you know, that's a basic part of selling. What does the customer want? And he didn't find out what our needs were or what we wanted. Or, he didn't find out anything about us at all, actually. And so, you know, I just think, have these people not been trained? That would have been basic, you know. The sort of, one of the first things about my tightrope is find out what the customer wants. And he didn't do that so, you know, it's a simple process, but it's fascinating to analyze salespeople who you meet. So he passed the first test because I liked him. You know, and quite often I don't like car salespeople. I don't know why. Liking's a funny game, isn't it? But I liked him, but he didn't do the second thing about finding out how he could help me. They have
1: to go together because then you just have a friend, but then you're like you're in the context of a sale. So it's like, hey, you're here to be helped, right? You're walking into the dealership. And I love that you naturally segued it to exactly where I wanted this to go, which is you talking about the tightrope. And obviously, this gentleman is an example of someone who's fallen off that tightrope. And you've already identified that one of the first things we should be doing after we establish some sort of friendship or at least some rapport. Because we want to do business with people we like. That's a natural thing we want to do. And I think as salespeople, that likability is a trigger of influence anyways. So I like that first start. Now you're saying about identifying needs seeing how you can help would this be a formal process of just saying like you should be in discovery mode like how would you identify it within your process
0: yeah i think the number one skill of salespeople is to be a great listener there was some research done i think it's in a book called the inner game of work and they said to the salespeople your job is to find out as much as you can about the customer that's it we don't care whether you sell anything. We're going to judge you on how much you find out. When you get back, we're going to ask you, what did you find out? And your bonus will depend on how much you found out. And, of course, what happened was they sold loads for two reasons. When they were asking the customers lots of questions, firstly, the customers felt important and felt valued and it was great for the relationship rather than, hi, I've come to sell you this, isn't it great? It was all about, tell me about yourself, tell me about what you need. You know? And then the second thing was that they uncovered all sorts of needs so it's great for the relationship and it was great for the needs discovery so they found out everything the customer wanted and then of course you can't resist saying well i could help you with that and the customer goes oh really well that'd be great and so the questioning and the listening is key and the bmw sales guy he did listen to our questions and he answered them but he didn't ask us any questions so he was a good listener you know he wasn't just in talk mode But his problem was that he didn't ask us anything about us. He didn't find out about us. So I think it's all about questioning. And I'm a big lover of the questioning funnel where you start with an open question of, you know, how's business or, you know, what's made you ask me to come and see you or just that kind of thing. But then the probing questions where you say, really, tell me more about that. So you're having problems in this area, what sort of problems? And, you know, how much is that costing you? And what sort of solution would be ideal if you could find it? What are you looking for exactly? And all that probing, tell me more about that. That's where you find out the really great information. And then finally, you've got closed questions where you say, well, if I could help you with that, would you like me to send you a proposal? Or would you like to know about cost or whatever it might be? But it's all in the probing questions. And most people know about open and closed questions but they don't know about the probing questions. So I think being a great listener, which means asking great questions is absolutely key. And it's one of the most neglected areas, but it's one of the easiest areas because it's so easy. Once you get practiced at it, like we have a TV program in England called first dates and they film people who've never met before sitting down to have a meal and trying to sort of chat each other up. It's fascinating because but it's also frustrating. I mean, I'm there shouting at the TV screen because they don't ask questions. So, you know, the guy turns up and goes, hi, you know, I am a qualified lawyer and I run my own law firm. And she goes, oh, yeah, right, whatever. And she goes, well, I think you need to know I've been divorced twice and I've got seven children. And he goes, oh, or whatever. And they just make statements and they just step on minds, you know, and he goes, "Oh, I don't like children. And she goes, oh, "Or she goes, I've got five cats. And he goes, oh, I don't really like cats. I'm a dog person. And it just goes really badly. And then there are these big, long gaps where nobody says anything. They're trying to think of something else interesting to say, you know. And all they have to do is ask each other questions. You know, all she's got to do is say, so what do you do for your job? Or do you have any pets? Or whatever. Or he's just got to say to her, so tell me about your career or what makes you happy. And and if she says, oh, you know, I really love going for walks, he can say, oh, I love going for walks. So where do you normally go? And he's only just got to ask her some questions. And so you watch these painful conversations where they just make statements and what they should be doing is asking each other questions and just trying to find out about the other person. Because in a way, that's a selling situation, isn't it? You're selling yourself and you're actually you're always selling, you know, whether it's a first date or just chatting with your friends or talking to a customer, talking to your boss. You're always selling in a way because you're always trying to persuade the person to do something because that's why you're there. That's why the conversation is happening. And the essence is just to ask lots of good questions. And it's only practice. I mean, it doesn't take much practice to become a good questioner. So the discovery of needs is a phase. And it's really important to find out their needs before you then talk about the benefits you can offer and how those will fulfill their needs. If you wade straight into benefits of, you know, it's got these features. This car goes really fast around corners. They're going, yeah, well, I don't want to go fast around corners. You know, so... You have to find out what the needs are before you mention benefits. And then you can just mention selective benefits, whichever benefits you have that they need. And probably most of the benefits you've got, they probably don't care about. But there's probably something you've got that can help them. So it's all about finding out the needs, isn't it? I mean, that's absolutely basic. Yeah, yeah.
1: I think it's definitely one of the most overlooked or oversimplified elements. And it's the one that if you spend the most effort, everything else flows. Yeah. And you can learn it. You can learn it. Most people are thinking, well, what's going to be the best way to close a sale, you know? Like, how can I close it? And then that's where there's the struggle. Yet, as you know, it's usually because you haven't spent that time at the beginning doing the needs assessment.
0: Yeah, can I tell you a couple of funny things about closing? To show you how bad I am at this, really. Because quite often I get an inquiry about a training course and we talk about what do they want. And I say, well, I could do that. And maybe we do it over zoom or maybe we do it face to face or whatever. And they say, brilliant. And then I sort of do my little close where I say, roughly, when do you want it? Do you want it quite soon? And they go, we want to do it mid March. And I go, well, I've got a few dates lit in March. You know, what's the best day of the week? Tuesdays. I've got a Tuesday left. Let's do it. And we pencil in a date and everything's done. And we say goodbye. And then after I've, hung up from the phone or I've left their office I go oh forgot to talk about price and we literally did not talk about price at all and I think that means I've done a really good sales job because they don't care what it costs they want me they trust me they're happy they know it's going to be fine they know I'm not going to rip them off and then I have to go back and say by the way we never mentioned price this is what I normally charge is that okay I mean really I should mention price while I'm in there But that shows that the clothes just should follow naturally to the point where you don't have to push them over a cliff or anything. They're just saying, yeah, let's do this. Where do I sign? And I had one course for a customer who I'm actually with again next week where we agreed to do it. We agreed the date, put it in the diary. I actually turned up and did the course. And it was only when I came to invoice them that I realized we never talked about price. And... So I searched through all my emails. There was no mention of price. We just booked everything and done it without even talking about the price. So I had to ring them up and say, by the way, I don't know whether we ever talked about price, but this is the amount I normally charge. Is that okay?" And the guy said, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I thought to myself, I probably should have charged more. But the point was that I was really relieved because he could have said, what? Oh, no, we can't play that much. It has to be much less. And I've already done the course. You know, I'm in quite a weak position, aren't I? But my point is, if you do the selling well enough, if you build up a really good relationship, find out what they want, show you can help them, they're just going to be, where do I sign? Yeah, let's do it. And the price doesn't even matter. You know, If they're worrying about price, it means that you haven't built up the needs and they don't want it badly enough, really. So, of course, you have to talk about price. But closing shouldn't be a big deal. It really shouldn't, if you do it right. And you're right. Closing is the bit that people are frightened of because that's where you get the rejection of actually, no, I don't want to buy your product because I don't like you and I don't like your product. That's what people fear. But it doesn't have to be a problem if you build up the relationship and find out their needs.
1: I feel like there's this like scenario that plays in our heads that it's like the moment you're going to close, you'll be like, yes, so we could get started and the price is this. And then the buyer will be like, oh my God, you are not worth this price. And it's like, no. And it's like total rejection. I'm hurt. Yet if your product is something that you've built, that is, actually solving problems that is actually providing solution and value you're right it should come naturally and you know you made the joke of it of saying like oh i should have charged it more but i bet in the way that you consistently deliver business you don't charge more and people know this trust this and anticipate the integrity which makes it so that your closes are effortless
0: yeah, it's interesting you say that because i've worked out recently that every time you quote a price if they always accept it it means you're not charging enough because they would have paid more. You know, if you charge $1,000 and they go, yes, it's highly unlikely that was the maximum they would have paid. And the chances are they would have paid $1,200 or $1,500. And they're thinking, oh, 1000 that's cheap. So you left money on the table. So really, you should be charging more. You should be charging to a point where you lose some business on price. Even though salespeople hate that, the reality is you should be losing... Up to half your business on price. If you do a little spreadsheet of how much you charge and how much you lose and work out your optimum position, which is easy to do, you'll find that you should really be losing about half your business on price. But that really goes against the grain of salespeople because they've got this deep down belief that if they lose a deal, it's really because the person didn't like them. And so they hate to lose business. But really, if you lose business purely on price, and it really is price, You should be fine with that. You should be thinking, well, not everyone can afford me, and that's fine. And actually, the ones who you lose on price are the ones you want to lose. They would have been a pain, because they're just trying to find the cheapest person. And they don't really understand quality, and they don't love you. You know, if somebody just wants the cheapest trainer... And they're looking around. I don't want to be their trainer. I want the trainer who likes my way of doing it and understands me and wants a relationship with me and to work with me. And if they're just shopping around for someone cheap, you know, do I even want them as a customer? And they're going to be trouble anyway. They're always going to be trying to negotiate me down and get more for the money. And they're just going to be a pain. So I think salespeople have to tell themselves to be strong and to tell themselves it's okay to lose the odd thing on price. Don't feel bad about that. It's natural. It's right. If it doesn't happen, you're not charging enough but it does hurt.
1: <laughs> well, as we do it more often and the business grows then you have more profit margins, you have more success, you can deliver more value and the cycle continues into a bit more success. Chris, I just want to say a big thank you for coming on the show and sharing so much. I love your style of selling. I love the energy that you bring in the way that you sell. And I think it's inspiring for a lot of people who have this caricature of this as we were saying before, gift of the gab type of salesperson that doesn't communicate as much trust. I think that wave is happening right now where we want people that are going to be better listeners. We want people that want to build that relationship and that we want to feel comfortable doing business with. And I think the methods you speak about are exactly what needs to happen. For those of you who are listening, again, I think the biggest thing that you should really be understanding that we talked about today is really understanding that asking these questions, genuinely listening, caring about discovering their problems, their needs, is going to be where you can put most of your effort, where you're going to be aiming to build a friendship and identifying what truly are the needs they need help with. And then once you realize that what you offer actually does help them, that is in essence your 30,000 foot view of how a sale is. There doesn't need to be any fear about it. I think there's some over-exaggerated emotions about how negative it could be, but really it becomes a beautiful thing that is super satisfying. And if you're just like Chris, where you don't feel like you are a natural born salesperson, know that the practice that it takes you to get to a level that you are really good and then realizing that you're gonna be ahead of the average in no time will make you very successful in any kind of sales career as you move forward. Chris, once again, thank you so much for joining me. For those of you who want to go deeper with the sales training and any other training with Chris, we're going to put a link in the show notes so you can go and discover his courses, more about Chris, and be able to interact as well. Again, Chris, thank you so much for coming on the show.
0: Thank you, Jason. It's been a complete pleasure. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Selling with Love podcast. I mentioned at the beginning the release of the book, Selling with Love, is coming on February 15th. If you haven't went to sellingwithlove.com forward slash book to get yourself on the waiting list yet, take the time to do so now. I'll have a sample chapter available, some exciting bonuses, and you'll be one of the first to put your hands on a copy of my book that is coming out so soon. Thank you so much for being a supporter. Thank you for listening to the show. And until next time.